Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscape of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel at seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Ross Gutler, CEO at The Open Center the country's longest-running urban center for personal growth and spiritual practice. Prior to this, he worked in wellness real estate, was an advisor to startups in the wellness and prop tech spaces, and also a member on numerous industry and nonprofit boards. We talked about how he literally used to say, I'm not a person who breaks trail, his path to entrepreneurship, and how productive time is not more noble than non-productive time. Good afternoon, Ross, and it's great to have you on the show today. I appreciate it, brother. Happy to be here, man. So I know you're talking to us from New York City, where you are the CEO of the Open Center. Now, a lot of listeners may not know what the Open Center is, so could you give us a little bit of an understanding of what the organization does? Yes, and I take no offense to that, my man. Um, Now, we, uh, we are a a holistic center, an urban holistic center is probably the technical term. I like to say we're a center for personal growth and spiritual practice. Um, Cause a lot of people aren't familiar with the term holistic or it means different things to different people. We've we're the longest running urban center um, in the North America, possibly the world. Uh, I don't have a crack team of historians that have gone around, flown around, figuring that out, but we exist in New York city. We were founded in 1984 and we've been a place where people come, get together, learn, have experiences all about their own growth and development. Amazing. So give us some examples of what that spread of, of curriculum or classes or experiences could look like. Yeah, that, you know, Aaron, that's been part of the fun thing of working for this organization is, is you get to fuel your inner curiosity around all the different things that go on in this world. So when we were founded, 1984, you know, meditation and yoga were not common. There were not centers all around Union Square. If you're familiar with New York City, like now there's yoga studios all over the place. A lot of them were born from the open center, from people that were studying at the open center. Over the almost four decades, it's evolved to have things. Sometimes I'll see a class Aaron, and I'll say, I don't even know what that is. You know, like I, I took a class two years ago called Jin Jin Jitsu. Jin Jin Jitsu is the Japanese art of self-healing, where you have all these different pressure points. I don't even have the pressure points, points on your fingers, and you hold and touch different points, and it corroborates the different points in your body, you know, correlates different parts of your body. Um, That would be something out that's out there that I would say, what even is that? Um, But then, you know, we had Dr. Richard Schwartz, that's the founder of Internal Family Systems, IFS, which is a very popular form of therapy these days. If your listeners listen to Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss is a huge, huge fan of Dick Schwartz and IFS. We have things in the psychology realm. We also just did a six-week program on psychedelics, on the past, present, and future of psychedelics. And we had you know, people like Paul Stamets 
come and we're about to launch another program. So it really runs the gamut of the types of programs we offer and experiences. And then we also do personal trainings. If you want to become a professional sound healer, you can get a certificate nine month program with us. Thank you. That, that is super interesting. And, and being a CEO of a nonprofit like this is a pretty big departure for you from a lot of the work and your education from your past. So tell us a little bit about where you came from and, uh, and how it differs from what you're doing with the open center. Yeah, for sure, bro. I mean, I would say the nonprofit life is different from where I came from. Also running an organization and being the leader of an organization is not what I'm used to. You know, when I stepped into this job, I don't even really think of it as a job, but like I managed 50 people. I'd never managed five people before. So it was really a huge jump for me. Um, and, you know, the nonprofit bit, huh? I want to make sure I, let's start over. I, I forgot what your question was. There. Yeah. What I was driving for is that, you know, your role as a CEO of a nonprofit that focuses on all the things that you just described is very different than, than some of your past jobs. And yeah. also, you know, what you went to school for and, and also sort of the track you were on, you know, as, a, as you were being brought up in the world and your upbringing. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you came from and how it was so different than, than where you have arrived to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I never would have guessed it. I mean, I, I think probably all your guests that you have on say that, I think that's part of breaking trail is <laughs> you, you don't know, you don't know where, where the trail is going to go. Um, you know, I mean, my, like I grew up wanting to be a neurosurgeon and then an investment banker. It was very much like on, on the beaten path, so to speak. I don't want to keep going back to that analogy, but like, we'll probably get to later that analogy has been my life. That's why I feel like it's so cool that I'm on this show with you and that that's what this show is. Because like in retrospect, that's what my life has been. But it was always like, okay, do the things that you've seen other people do. You know, I went to Duke undergrad, going to be an investment banker, ended up getting into real estate, was on that path for years, just traditional stuff, you know? Um, so the idea of working for, with a nonprofit never even occurred to me. Um, and even the idea of like running an organization wasn't something I thought about. So what happened where you, you shifted gears? Cause I know, you know, when we previously talked, you know, about your, your investment banker possibilities and your neurosurgeon possibilities, and then you, you also got into some real estate, correct? Yeah. 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 I had a company flipping houses in my early twenties with a buddy, um, a good, actually good friend of mine who you should have on your show. He's a co-founder of Afar. The travel magazine, which is an amazing travel magazine. He and I had a company doing that in our mid-20s. And honestly felt like the entrepreneurial life at the time wasn't for me. It was actually a, a in retrospect, a moment of where I'm like, oh, bravo, dude. Like I remember thinking, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to be my own boss. And I don't know if I say, like, dude, kick that self-limiting belief to the curb. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I've never been one that's like been short of personal belief, but I felt like I'm not ready to push myself. I like having somebody over me that I can look up to and that I'm responsible and accountable to that, that helped drive me. I guess I sort of recognize like I don't have the drive or the interest of creating all my own work. Uh, and so, although funny enough, the next thing is I become a real estate developer and then broker 
And then I'm a 1099 independent contractor, 100% commission. So it's like, you eat what you kill. So I ended up sort of living that life anyway. But in doing so, I got to like a comfortable position where I'm like, I'm making enough money. I don't need to work more than 30, 35 hours a week. This is cool. And I guess if you have a company, you sort of get in this trap of like, the company needs to keep growing, needs to keep growing, needs to keep growing. Like, okay, I got I to gotta work harder, work harder, work more. And when it was just me being a broker, I'm just like, I got enough money. I'm playing enough golf. I'm doing my thing. Like, this is cool. <laughs> I don't need any more. Interesting. So, so the first opportunity felt a little bit stressful or, or, you know, whether it was imposter syndrome or truly just something you knew you didn't want. And then, and then you got your feet into it in a slightly different way. And, and, you know, you gain some exposure, some experience with it and, and realize that there is a way to make it uh, work for you. Uh, yeah. I think it, I would say less than imposter syndrome. It was, I'm not ready for this. Like, you know, this is just not, I'm not motivated in the right ways to grow a company like that. And, and maybe because then all we were doing, I mean, flipping houses, like there was no save the world goal. It was just to make money. I mean, honestly, like, let's all be real. And I'm not, I'm not shitting on flipping houses. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an economics major person. Like I'm, I'm okay with people making money, but like, you're not flipping houses to, to save society. You're flipping houses to make yourself money and that's it. Um, what I do now, there's a whole different intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And like that has completely changed my, my relationship to pushing myself. Yeah. And thank you for that clarification too, it, because I think there's a, a humility and a vulnerability to hear somebody say, you know, I'm not wanting that. I'm not wired that way. I'm not ready, you know, versus the fake it till you make it or the, you know, the aspirations to do something that everybody else seems to like or want to do. So mm. I think that's, that's really refreshing to hear. And, and then what has happened since to help you get to this, this new spot as a CEO in a nonprofit, there's a, there's a, a tipping point you talked to me a, a little bit about, and I'd love to, I'd love to have you tell the rest of Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're referring to my work with a career coach. You know, I worked with uh, Maggie Mistel, um, who's just fantastic. And I have nothing but great things to say about her. And I've referred her to other people. She's awesome. Um, her and I did some serious work that looks different in retrospect than it did at the time. And the story I shared with you, which is so beautiful for your show, is we got deep into our sessions. Keep it, And she's not cheap. So like, you, you know, like a good coach, you know, y'all aren't cheap understandably so because it's real work and like we got deep in the multiple sessions in and i wrote her this email and she, at the time i was really into behavioral science still am and there was this idea of i should go and get a phd in economics and that i wanted to become the chair of this interdisciplinary department at a major um university and which is not actually actually that dissimilar from what I'm doing now. Um, and she, I, I thought Maggie, the, the, the work it's going to take me to get the PhD. And then I'm like, I'm going to be stuck just doing this. And that feels very limiting. And she said, Ross, there's going to be so many other things you can do as in that position. Trust me. And I'm like, 
I, I said, I have this email, Aaron, that I dug up and it, I said, Maggie, I'm the type of person that needs to see it to believe it. You want me to believe it to see it. And I, that's not me. And I actually wrote, because you and I, like you and I are both skiers. I said, I'm not the type of person that breaks the trail, that breaks trail. I use those words, word for word. And now I'm like, oh, but, but I am, but I thought I wasn't. So what happened, what, what flipped the switch and, and, you know, whether it was in the coaching or some other insight, how did you, how did you switch it? I don't know if there was one, I I'm, I'm thinking of an analogy or a story that I keep using a lot. I feel like it's like a weekly story for me, that idea that I think Stephen King talked about with how do you writing a book is like driving a car through a storm in the winter and you're running the wiper blades. And it's like, you can only see 10 feet in front of you, but like, that's all you need to see. That's how I feel this has happened. I don't think there was like a watershed moment where the slip flip swept. And I'm like, Oh, now I am a trail breaking person. I can believe it to see it. And before I was somebody different, I think it's been inch by inch, you know, a gradual crescendo uh, crescendo makes it sound like I'm already there. I'm not already there. It's still uh, an ascension. And yeah, I, and I, and I feel that. And so I don't have an attachment to understanding. Am I at the top yet? Have I, have I summited? I don't give a fuck. Like there, there isn't a summit here, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just the path. It's always a, it's always a path forward and it, it just continues in perpetuity. So your analogy of the windshield makes a ton of sense. And, um, you know, as you've been driving down this road, what comes up for you from your past, you know, as you, as you're trying, you know, you're breaking trail in a new way and what comes up for you? And then what do you do about it in terms of, you know, keeping yourself from getting pulled back or is there just no going back? You're very clear that, that this new way works for you. Two things are coming up to me. I mean, one is, and I'm going to tie this to skiing because I feel like skiing is such a beautiful metaphor for so many things that happen in our life. Guys like, like people like us, why do like, what is part of the excitement of skiing in a in really challenging terrain and skiing it very aggressively it's it's the unknown it's the curiosity it's the i don't like yeah what do they teach you when you're like learning to ski bumps like see five turns ahead sure but like when you're really out there you can't always see five turns ahead and there's an excitement of not knowing what's about to happen and your body's got to react that quickly and i liken that to curiosity it's the same reason i like downhill mountain biking i feel like it's just like curious. You're exploring. You're exploring in every single moment. And that is what I'm doing, I feel like, with my job is exploring in every single moment the same way what I would be going down uncharted terrain in the backcountry. Like, that's what makes it exciting. Yeah, and it sounds like that it, it, in the whole concept of the open center and, and all the different ways that you can explore humanity and and the way that one shows up in the world and then you know your role there as CEO and and the things that you get to be a part of that weren't 
necessarily in your life, whether it's people management or it's, you know, you know, just organizational leadership at that level, it sounds like you're, you're living it on, on all levels. Yeah. And you just nailed one, like people management. Look, I've been doing this for two years. Maybe I'm going to have a different opinion in 10 years. A lot of people that get in management, they say, what do they hate most managing people? Like, can you move all the people away from me? I don't want to do that. I love it. I think it's really fun. I'm a people person. I love sitting down with people and be like, yo, how can we work on this problem together? How can I help you solve this on your own? What support can I provide? Also, let's just rap about it and figure it out. Like, I love that because I'm like, we're friends. It's just like me being friends with a bunch of people. So a lot of people are annoyed by that. There's a curiosity there going back to that, to me of continue to be curious of how do I get better at managing people? Um, how do I get better at leading people from a, like, we're a nonprofit, we're mission driven, that our mission is all we have. How do I get better at, um, at promoting and evangelizing for that mission? And then how do I get better at the little finer, un, you know, behind the scenes things of, of running an organization and all the nonprofit stuff? Like, I love just finding out, oh, I had no idea accounting and nonprofits work that way. Great. Okay. Now I need to talk to an accountant and find out give me all the expertise, the skill sets that I need to navigate nonprofit accounting different from for-profit accounting. That's all fun to me. Yeah. Well, you're, that's the growth mindset there too, is just finding the, the joy and the, in the new experiences and, and the, the evolution of yourself. If you're comfortable, could you share maybe one, one thing that you feel like surprised you in terms of your style, your personality, that's really working for your leadership and, and maybe one thing that you're, that you struggle with. The first thing that comes to mind is something that has surprised me is the management of meetings and individual relationships. And, you know, I have my own personal teacher that I work with every Friday. I worked with him earlier today and you know, a really core issue that we've worked on for me is my desire and attachment to efficiency and productivity and how it stems from childhood and that it stems from my dad and that my dad told me a story of that his dad said, like, if you're not out of bed by eight o'clock on a Saturday, like you're wasting the day, that type of attitude. And I didn't realize that that is ingrained in me, that if I'm spending time, sometimes I don't mean to sound like I'm some machine, but like, productive time can feel more valuable than non-productive time. And that's actually not true. Both no, this time is not more noble than that time. And so with this, with this, with this role, I would find myself, Aaron, on conversations where it's like, I'm on a conversation with a manager for half an hour. And in my mind, I've got a, something we need to solve, something we need to fix. So what am I going to do? I'm going to want to get on that phone and like, okay, let's get down to it. Let's fix it. Yeah, some small talk for sure, because like I'm a bullshitter person. But what I realize is sometimes they just need to get on the phone and talk about their sick cat. And they need 20 minutes to talk about that. And if I don't give them that space, then we don't have trust and they're not vulnerable with me. And so I have shocked myself in realizing, you know what, dude? If somebody needs to talk about their sick cat for 20 or 30 minutes and you actually don't get to solve what you wanted to, that's okay. Even say, dude, even saying that to you feels hard for me to say to you. 
Well, look, I, you know, as someone who is trained as a, as a school psychologist from this consultative approach, and it's absolutely in line with the fact that when you're problem solving with someone or when you're, when you're trying to build trust and create a really strong rapport with somebody and there's emotions at play, or even when you're managing a, you know, a large meeting and there's lots of feelings and emotions and strong opinions. If you as the facilitator or the leader do not create space for people to emote, and it doesn't mean that it's unbridled and it just goes haywire, but if you don't create space for that, then they aren't ready to do the, the thinking, the strategic planning, the problem solving, because their, their heads are somewhere else. And so I think it's actually very wise and very much in line with, with, with really what works for people. So, so bravo. Yeah. But then in the moment, you can even tell yourself that they're like, okay, I'm doing the right thing here. But you also have, for me, frustration can bubble up that you even are having to have this conversation with yourself, that you are having to do that. And then you have to release that. And so that is probably the work that I'm continuing to do on myself is, is being like, it's okay, dude. It is okay that that is how this conversation is going. This is what needed to happen. Release the need or the desire, the attachment for it to be something else. It is what it is in the moment. It's really focusing on presence. And, and, you know, there's a whole host of other people that if that's how you led, if you led with that, you know, the touchy feely or the, the emotional stuff, they would be bothered and they would be like, will you please get to the point we want, we want to execute. So, you know, what we're really talking about is, is as leaders, you know, the ability to be very other focused. So, and to be very aware of your natural leanings and your natural penchants to how you would like to lead or, or manage and be very aware of what the person in front of you needs and to be able to shift the style. And, and that's super wise and it's in, and done well, it's not inauthentic. It's not disingenuine. You're just toggling and, and delivering in a way that's really going to be the best for the other person across from you. And it's just, you know, it's low self-orientation, which is a, is a fundamental of, of building trust. Well said, brother. And I'm, I'm listening. I'm like thinking about this and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, okay, I didn't answer your other question, which is what am I not doing well? And it's actually, I feel it's the same thing of, okay, but I feel pressure that I'm not getting enough out of my group meetings that I know there are a handful of, of team members in those meetings that don't want to hear about people's cats that are just like, yo, this is a meeting my time is valuable. Let's start to finish, have the meeting. And so it's balancing. I don't even know if it's toggling. It's like, it's the in-between and, that, and it's that in-betweenness without toggling black or white. And I do not feel I have mastered that. And it's making me think, oh my God, wouldn't I love to sign up for a, how to compassionately or empathetically lead a meeting, facilitate. And then it's making me think, I've never taken actually professional facilitation training. Well, Ross, I have a class in that and I am happy. I, 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 I did, by the way, just for your audience, I did not know you have a class. Are you serious? I absolutely do. 
Yes. Uh, so, so meeting facilitation and, and uh, both leading and participating in meetings in a, yeah. in an effective way for sure. So yes, I know you didn't know, and, and thank you for plugging me uh, or giving me a chance. I really, I really did not. And I'm not surprised, you know, I mean, what I try to do, we meditate at the beginning of all our meetings, we either meditate or we have some type of like bonding experience to let people's guard down and, and to bring people in. So we, we do that, but like, that's one thing there needs to be a lot going on. So cool. Sidebar. We will, we will get into that conversation. Yes. I will help you. My gift back to you. And, and I think that there's a, there's a blend of both the, the heart and the backbone and the, the structure and the, the openness and abstract. And, and when you facilitate a meeting in a really good way, you know, it's, it's tough. Like, that's why I always say, you know, if you're the one running the meeting, don't be taking the notes. Don't be yeah. you know, doing a whole lot of other stuff because there's a ton to pay attention to in order to pick up the signals, the nonverbal stuff, the energy shifts, the, you know, the, the people who should be talking that aren't talking, the people who need to be acknowledged, but then, you know, maybe shut down so that other people can take some space. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But I, again, I, I do appreciate your candor, your vulnerability. It's, it's super refreshing to hear. Cool. Thank you, brother. So, you know, in kind of wrapping us up, what are you most excited about? Obviously, these last couple of years has been pretty awesome, it sounds like, but what do you got coming up that's exciting you or, or new and different? Yeah, I think it's probably the thing that I never addressed in this, which is being at a completely mission-driven organization and um, where our, our mission is to bring the spiritual practice, the personal growth, the holistic way of life into normal society. You know, I mean, we're called the open center. I have a show, I have my own show that I'll probably have you on called opening doors with Ross Gutler. And it's really opening people's minds to the different modalities and practices and wisdom traditions out there that have been around for thousands of years that have figured a lot of this out, you know, like everything doesn't need to be new for it to be right. Um, and that like what excites me is to continue to promote and evangelize that because I've seen the difference it's made in my life. I know how different of a person I am than I was 10 years ago. And I never would have thought I would say that. Um, I also never would have thought I'd be working, not even a nonprofit, but like a spiritual center. Like I was averse. To, I was like, Ooh, spiritual. Oh my God. You know, like I grew up a Jewish kid in a small Southern Christian conservative town. And I was like, Oh my God, religion. No, you know, and now like I'm here doing this, but it's, it's very different to me. Um, and I even saying the word evangelized, I was like, man, I grew up like, Oh no, that's a bad word. Like, no, like I am evangelizing for what we do. I go do that every day. So I think what excites me is we were always a New York organization. The pandemic has given us the good fortune of becoming a global organization where we're now reaching people in most countries across the world. And my interest, my energy is around continuing to grow it and making it truly a tr even a more global organization, not for any ego reasons, because it's a nonprofit. I don't, I don't take a bonus. You know, it's a, I don't have equity. There's no more financial interest in it for me. It's because I believe in what we do and I've seen the good it's made in my life. I've seen the good it's made in other people's lives and I want to share that with other people. The more people I can share that with, the better. In terms of that, how do folks 
get in touch with the open center? What's the best way to get connected and, and maybe even experience it? Yeah. Our website is opencenter.org. It's a .org because we are a nonprofit. Um, our donations to us are tax deductible. So we certainly appreciate them. Um, my emails, Ross at opencenter.org. I'm really open. I, I love people reaching out to me. So like, I'm, I'm not one of these people that's like, Oh, I'm going to hide all my personal information. No, I don't feel like that. Um, we, we just offer so much cool stuff. We've got a lot of very, very huge and powerful behind the scenes programs going on, including one on psychedelics that I cannot wait till that gets announced. Um, clearly we all know what's going on in the media and in, and frankly, in science and medicine and now in public policy around that. Um, so a lot of really amazing programs for us on the horizon and then growing the organization and continuing to add really cool, interesting, smart, energetic, passionate people that want to help others. So if y'all want to join the team, hit me up too. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ross, I appreciate your time today. It was great to get a chance to chat with you and all the best through the rest of this year and uh, have a good rest of your day. Brother, I got to thank you, man, because um, also not trying to give you a commercial, but like I've known you since before the Open Center started and you and I have had some really inspirational conversations and we've talked about a few different ideas. And so I can honestly say I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if it weren't for some of the conversations you and I have had and the ideas we've shared. So thank you. I appreciate you. My pleasure. And uh, same back at you. So thanks so much and have a good rest of your day. All right, brother. See you, man. Take care. The Trailbreaker Podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at aaronfeinberg.com.